Is the Bible of any use in 2019? Well, you know, we live in a troubled world. The uh, research group, Ipsos Mori, do research each year, and they, 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 they look at all the countries in the world, or, or many countries in the world, and they do research where they look at the things that these nations, uh, the people within these nations, are so worried about. We see across the globe, there are major, major worries as people move into a new year. Worries about health care, worries about crime and violence, worries about inequality and unemployment. We live in a troubled world, challenges with terrorism. People are extremely worried. And so we ask the question of us, do we need to be worried? Do we need to be challenged and worried as we move into a new year? The, the, the BBC News talks of clouds gathering over a global economy. What does 2019, they said this week, have in store for the global economy? Have we got to be troubled and worried? We live remarkably in a connected and interconnected world like never before. The fact that we can be here this morning, many of us in the room, and people watching across the globe says it all, doesn't it? That many of you this afternoon, this evening, will go on to some form of social media perhaps and speak to someone in another part of the world. Perhaps we'll tell them about the things we've considered this morning. We live in an extraordinary world that's connected and interconnected. And do you know the great sadness is that in all of that, people are more lonely than ever before. Loneliness, the economist has said last year, is a serious public health problem. Isn't this extraordinary that when we look at the, the world, we can understand there are troubles in people's lives in terms of crime and violence and terrorism, and yet in a world where any of us can quickly pick up the phone and speak to someone in New Zealand. Someone can fly back in 24 hours from the other side of the world and be sat here this morning. People are more lonely than ever before. Loneliness is much more modern phenomenon than you might think. They talk of the darkness of loneliness. And do you know extraordinarily really that they think that part of the problem in this modern phenomena of loneliness is well social media the very thing that's supposed to pull you together the very thing that's supposed to connect us up can be right at the heart of why individuals are sat in their homes not worried about crime and violence or terrorism but worried about being in a dark dark, lonely place. How social media increases depression and loneliness. Not so social media. How social media increases loneliness. So we live in a world full of problems. At an international, a national, and a very personal level. What do you think is one of the things that's worrying Britain as we move into 2019? Brexit. Brexit. That's good, because that's the right answer. 
Brexit, what will 2019 bring? CBC News asked last week. Will Brexit actually happen in 2019? The statesman asked this week. Where do me and you turn to? In a time where we look at national worries like Brexit, we see international worries and personal challenges and worries <coughs> for the individuals sat in their own homes. Where do we go? In this world of darkness, I tell you where we go. We go here. Is the Bible any use in 2019? If you haven't already, open your mind. And I want you to come to that reading that we just read on page 1743. And I put this text on the screen, if that's a help to you as well. But I suggest you still open your Bible. It's such a useful thing to do. So page 1743. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter is inspired, and what's amazing here is we're told that he's inspired. In fact, we're told all the scriptures inspired. inspired. And he says, you know, in a, when you're in a dark place, this is what you've got. Verse 19. We have the prophetic word confirmed, a more sure word of prophecy which you do well to heed. Listen up, he says. Listen up. Because this is as a light that shines in a dark place. So I don't know all of you very well, but I do know this, that everyone in this room has some form of baggage has some challenges that they're having to deal with in their lives. There's an element of darkness in all of our lives. And there's certainly darkness across the world, across Britain, and possibly even in your own lives. But the Bible says you're to be given a more sure word of prophecy which is going to shine in a dark place. And we're also told, look verse 20, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy, verse 21, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible wasn't written by, well, just someone in a room going, oh, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll, these are my thoughts. Uh, I'll write this down and, and, and perhaps it can go into a, a holy book. Far from it. This book has been written by people who have been inspired by God. So we do well to take heed. Now, let me show you why it is that today we can be absolutely confident that this word is true. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, 10 years ago, could you have foreseen Brexit? Could you have seen Britain coming out of Europe as we're seeing the wheels in motion at the moment? Well, let me show you this. This is a Christadelphian, a man by the name of John Thomas. 
And he's writing, not in the last century, the century before that. He's writing over 150 years ago. And he writes this. Now, this language isn't altogether easy. But I just want you to really try to focus to see what it is he says. He says, another objection to England, we'll take that to mean England and Wales, right? Being numbered with the ten, now what's he talking about, number with the ten, is that she's not a country of the great sea world. The ten horns were to ascend out of the Mediterranean, upon which Daniel saw the tempest raging, and he suggests... Gaul, Spain, Italy, Illyria, Africa and Dacia are political sections of a terrain whose waters directly or indirectly mostly discharge themselves into the Mediterranean. But the British Isles have no relation at all. Let me paraphrase this. Britain cannot be a part of Europe because it's not part of the ten that he talks about. Oh, I love the fact that you couldn't resist calling it out. The Ten Horns. It's so exciting that I'm with you all the way. I'm with you. Right. It's not part of the Ten Horns. What are you talking about? This is weird, isn't it? Come on, stick with me. This is now a Christadelphian writing in 1992. July 1992. So, what are you talking Someone do the maths for me. How, how long ago is this? Is it something like 27 years? Yeah? I've had the nod, so I must be right. 27 years ago. This is what the Christophian writes. The present affiliation of Britain with the European common market, as it was then, must be only temporary. And before the beast of the sea, here's another interesting thing coming across, is again formed in its latter-day manifestation as required by the prophecy of Revelation 17. Do you want to go there? Come on. Come to Revelation 17. So we're in Peter. So the next book is John. Then it's Jude. Then it's Revelation. I'll give you a page number. 1775. 1775. Where we read about this, this beast of Revelation 17. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to show you one more quote. And this time we're going to go back to this chap, John Thomas, this Christadelphian writing in the 1860s. Another objection, he says, to Britain being numbered among the ten... Oh, you're right. The ten... Everyone knows what this is, don't they? This is ten horns, right? Is that... Now, where's this ten horns coming from? Look, have a look here. Are you in Revelation 17? Look at the verse 3. He's... John is given a vision by the Lord Jesus Christ where he's, he's taken into the wilderness. Look, verse 3. So what page 1775, chapter 17, verse 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet-coloured beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So... That's what this writer's referring to. Now, let's keep reading this bit of text. Another objection to Britain being numbered among the ten horns is that although indeed she's ruled ecclesiastically by name of blasphemy, her constitution is in word and deed opposed to the name of blasphemy upon the heads of the beast. 
The ten horns all worship this name and worship it as their holy father and maintain ambassadors at his court. So what we're talking about is a woman riding a beast with ten horns. Now, we haven't got the time to go into all the detail of this prophecy, so you're going to need to trust me this morning. And if you want to find out more, then you come and listen more and more and more. You'll get this. But this woman is speaking. In fact, I'm going to get other people to tell me, so you know it's not Peter Owen's interpretation. The woman is the ch church. I had to give a clue because people weren't coming up quick enough, right? The woman is a church. And this is an apostate church. This woman is, is drunk with the, with, with the having drunk uh, the, a cup full of abominations and filthiness of fornication. This is an apostate church riding a beast, which is, we believe, Europe. And I say we believe, this is what they believed hundreds of years ago. This is what Bible students have always known this prophecy to be about. What I want you to note is that he writes, blasphemous as Britain is in her constitutional ecclesiasticism, she protests against and repudiates the chief blasphemer of the world. She does not belong to the politico-ecclesiastical system of body politic of which he is the mouth. Now let me tell you this, that as soon as Britain said they were going to come out of Europe, nearly two years ago, the leaders of Europe went to see someone. Who do you think they went to see? They went to see the Pope. Because that is their leader. That is their ecclesiastical leader. But this Christadelphian writer knew from reading his Bible that Britain could not be a part of that system. So a Christadelphian surprised of the events around Brexit. Far, far from it. Here's an artist's impression of this beast. How many heads are there, children? Well done, seven. How many horns are there? Ten horns. Joshy, how many heads? Seven, good boy. How many horns? Good. Seven heads and ten horns. Now, do you know the amazing thing? It then tells us, look, we're in Revelation 17. Verse, look, at, go to verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. Well, do you know there's a city renowned across the world, it's not Swansea, for having seven mountains. What is it? Rome. So this beast is a beast from just in case we needed the clue, right? Isn't that amazing? The seven heads are seven mountains. Well, the ten horns are ten powers, ten kings, if you like, that come out of this beast. And do you know what they do? Verse 13. They're of one mind, these ten horns. So these, if you like, these powers of Europe, they're of one mind, and they'll give their power and their authority who are they going to give it to? The beast. Well, the beast is, they are the beast. They're the ten horns coming out of the beast. So when they give their ten horns, when they give their power and authority to the beast, 
They're pulling it, aren't they? They're pulling it together. Do you know what the Telegraph said this week? The euro has failed, threatens democracy, and should be abolished. Why? What did the European nations do? Their power is their money. And they said, you know what? We're not going to have francs anymore. We're not going to have Deutschmarks anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to give our power and our strength to the beast. Does that make sense? And is Britain doing the right thing coming out? Well, the Telegraph, this writer suggests they have. Now, when we read this article, this article was sent to me this week. Look at what it says. To be charitable, you could say the euro has proved itself merely by surviving until its 20th birthday this January. This is a low bar. Monetary union has otherwise failed as an economic and political endeavour. The evidence of Europe's lost decade is that it can only be made to work under a regime of technocrat, Caesar opapism. Now, who's heard of Caesar opapism? Come on, this is basic. Come on. <laughs> I'm a primary school teacher. My five-year-olds are coming up with these words. <laughs> Nor me. I hadn't heard of it until this week. Caesar opapism. So guess what I have to do? Look it up. Now look at what Caesar opapism means. It's a political theory in which the head of state, notably the emperor, Caesar, by extension of the king, is also the supreme head of the church, the pope or a religious leader. So what they're saying is that the only way that the euro has worked is by Caesar opapism. Now isn't that extraordinary? That what you've had is a unity between the state and the church. Well, hold on. What's the woman doing? She is riding the beast. Isn't that amazing? Now, the Bible says, look, if you really want to look at prophecy, look at a particular nation. In fact, it says, what we ought to do is look to Israel. And I'm going to ask you to turn this reference up at the moment. It's in Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43 says, you are my witnesses of Israel. You're my servant whom I've chosen, that, that you and everyone would know that I am God. And so, as Christadelphians, we believe that we need to look at Israel, particularly, we can look across the world, but look at Israel particularly to see the more sure word of prophecy. Now, this year, just six months or so ago, Israel did something amazing. They passed their nation-state law on the 19th of July. I want you to just have a look at this short video. After a decade of political wrangling and explosive acrimonious debate, this most contentious of laws was never going to pass quietly. The board signaled that the Jewish state's law had passed by seven votes. Cue uproar. Furious Arab members of parliament tore up copies of the bill as they shouted, apartheid at right-wing Israeli legislators. 
as one protesting MP was removed by security, Ayman Ode, leader of the mostly Arab Joint List Party, symbolically held up a black flag over the bill. A black flag, he said, hovers over this evil law. The bill describing Israel for the first time as the national home of the Jewish people has far-reaching implications, prompting accusations that the most hardline right-wing government in Israel's history is formally codifying racism. So today we have made a law in stone. This is our nation-state law. Now what do they say? Well. There were three main things that came out of the nation-state laws. Number one, Hebrew was to be considered the official language. Arabic has been downgraded. Number two, that the name of the state is Israel. Now, you and I might think, so what? You know, we call it Israel Register. Not many do across the world. It is Israel, the name of that nation. And Jerusalem is, it to, be, is to be its complete and united capital. It also established Jewish settlements as a national value. So three things, actually 11 points, three major ones that we're going to pick out and briefly look at this morning. So what are they? Well, number one, this Hebrew language. I just, I just think it's interesting that when we come to the prophecy of Zephaniah, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. This, we're only looking at this one verse. It's page 1362. But Zephaniah chapter 3, we learn that at a stage in the future, God will restore to the people, verse 9, a pure language. Now, Bible students for years have believed that language to be Hebrew, because that's the language that God gave the scriptures in uh, so many thousand years ago. So, I will restore to the people this language of Hebrew, that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one of them. So we're just in, it's just a little sentence. We couldn't hang anything on it, could we? But we're just interested to see that one of the Jewish nation-state laws is to say Hebrew is now the official language. Okay, what about another one? Well, perhaps that Hebrew thing is there. Well, the name of the state is Israel and Jerusalem, its capital. What have we seen in the last year? What's Trump done? He said, we're going to recognize Jerusalem for what it is. And we're going to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Right? Which is interesting to see these things take place, aren't they? And they also said that the name of the place must be Israel. Now, do you know, when the United Nations divided the territory in Palestine and Israel back in 1948, most of the world recognized that Israel could have a portion of that land. The Palestinians didn't. They don't look at 1948 as any year to celebrate. They call it the Al-Nakba, the year of disaster. Why do they think it's a disaster? Well, they say it's a disaster because they were supplanted. What does supplanted mean? Replaced. They were supplanted. They were replaced by 
Jewish Zionist colonists. What, what, it is, what, what do they say, right? They talk about the fact they've been supplanted. Just look at this. In fact, you can even see maps where the, the Palestinian villages have been erased and replaced. They've been supplanted with Jewish towns. Uh, here's a writer, and he says, of all those who've conquered you, uh, this is the interviewer asking the writer of that book, Crusaders, Mamluks, Turks, who was the best and who was the worst? He says, I don't know who the best was, but you, the Israelis, were the worst. How can that be, he says. After all, you've got a master's degree here, you've got a pension, you've got a good life. The Palestinian said, true, all the others came to enslave us. You came to supplant us. Why are we interested? What was Israel, the man, called before his name was changed to Israel? Jacob. And the Bible talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. But it says that Jacob will return. What's happened to the people of Israel? They have come back to the land. And it says that one day their name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. They won't any longer be called the supplanters. Their name will be called Israel. Okay, so we've seen the, the Hebrew language. We've seen the Jewish state. Just, I hope we can look at this video. So let's go back to 1948 when the map looked a lot different. Back then, all this land was controlled by Great Britain. And due to growing tensions between Jews and Arabs, the UN worked with Britain to split the land into two states. One for Jews, Israel, and another one for Arabs, Palestine. The Jews in the region accepted this plan and declared independence of the state of Israel. But the Arab states in the region saw this plan as just more European colonialism. They didn't accept the plan and instead declared war on Israel. Israel won the war, pushing well past the borders of the UN plan. During the peace negotiations, a ceasefire line was drawn in green ink. It became known as the Green Line. It wasn't necessarily a border, it was just a ceasefire line, with this being the state of Israel, and this section being controlled by Jordan, who had taken control of it during the war. The Jordanians named this newly seized land the West Bank because it was west of the Jordan River. The fragile ceasefire remained until 1967 when Israel fought another war with its Arab neighbors. Israel wasn't looking to take over land in this war, but in just six days of fighting, it blew past the Green Line and seized a whole swath of land, including the entire West Bank. Suddenly, Israel had a decision to make. Do they make the West Bank a part of Israel and give the 1.1 million Arabs living there Israeli citizenship and voting rights? Do they give the land back to their enemy Jordan? Or else do they let the people create their own Palestinian state? This became a major debate in Israeli politics. Many Israelis saw this war they just won as not just a military victory, but a religious sign that the Jews were meant to return to the place where a huge amount of Jewish history happened the hills of the ancient Judea and Samaria, which is basically the entire West Bank. So while the government was debating what to do, Israeli civilians began moving into the West Bank without any permission from the government. They just started setting up homes, establishing a Jewish presence in this region. 
Suddenly, any debate about what to do with the West Bank had to take into account the growing number of Israeli civilians that were living there. But the rest of the world did not approve of this. As the settler presence grew, the UN issued a resolution saying that the settlements had no legal validity and that they constitute a serious obstruction to achieving a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace in the Middle East. They were basically saying that the settler activity was totally illegal. Two different narratives emerged here. One said that Jewish civilians were moving on to mostly empty plots of land that they had captured in a war and that had deep historical and spiritual significance to them. The other side, which is the side that most of the world took, said that these settlers were colonizing land to expand their nation. In spite of international condemnation, the number of settlers in the West Bank grew. Over the next few decades, more and more factions of the Israeli government began to support the settler movement, allocating public resources and granting permits for building. The Israeli housing ministry and military began developing plans on how to develop the West Bank. They built roads throughout the entire region, allowing easy access between settlements and mainland Israel. More and more building permits were given out and planned communities began popping up all over the West Bank. The settlements slowly shifted from a fringe group of motivated civilians to an institutionalized part of Israeli society, totally supported by the state. So one of those Jewish nation state laws was that the building taking place on the West Bank, the Jews should, it should be a national uh, priority that they should build, they should settle on the West Bank. Now, why is that of interest to us? Will you open your Bibles? I want you to open your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 36. It's page 1250. Ezekiel 36, 1250. So we've just seen on that video uh, how that the Jewish people since 1967 when they took control of the territory of the West Bank, have been settling on that territory. And then now they've passed a nation-state law just last year, six months ago, saying it's a national value. We want you to build on this land. We also saw in that video that the world does not approve. The UN has said you shouldn't be doing this. And yet they're doing it. Why is that interesting to us? Are you in Ezekiel 36, page 1250? Now look at verse 1. It says, Son of man, this is God talking to Ezekiel, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Now what were they referred to in that video? The mountains or the hills, right? He actually said the hills of Judea and Samaria. He said, those hills of Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, those hills are called what today? The West Bank. Why are they called the West Bank? Because they're west of the Jordan River. right? So when we read in Ezekiel 36 a prophecy to the mountains of Israel, what is this prophecy for? Who is it to? The people living where? On the West Bank, right? Now look at this. Verse 10, or verse 8. You, O mountains of Israel, just in case we hadn't got it, you, the West Bank, 
You shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they're about to come. Indeed, I'm for you. I'll turn to you and you shall be tilled and sowed. Now look at verse 10. I will multiply men on you. All the house of Israel. What have they just done this last year? They said, we're going to pass a law in the Israeli parliament that says it's a national value that we want you to settle on the West Bank. What does Ezekiel 36 say? I will multiply men on you. What they are doing, whether they know it or not, is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You see, you and I have got a more sure word of prophecy that's like a light shining in a dark place. I will multiply, verse 11, upon you man and beast. They shall increase and bear young. I'll make you inhabited as in former times. I will settle people on you. Isn't that extraordinary? Now, that Christadelphian writing in the 1860s, over 150 years ago, he said this. It may be remarked that there will have been a considerable gathering of Israelites upon the mountains of Israel. Now, why doesn't he call it the West Bank? No one's called it the West Bank yet. He's writing the 1860s. And he says there will be a considerable gathering of Israelites on those mountains. The Jews have just made it a national value. They've been doing it for 50 years. Are we watching? Are we looking at these things? He says there'll be a considerable gathering of Israelites upon the mountains of Israel before the invasion of the country by Gog. Well, who on earth, there's a clue, it's on earth, is Gog. Gog. I want you to turn a couple of pages. Will you come to Ezekiel 38, page 1254? So, this Christadelphian writer says, there's going to be a considerable gathering of people on the mountains of Israel before Gog comes down. Ezekiel 38, verse 2. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, we haven't got the time this morning to go into all the detail of who this is. But just for the purposes of this morning, let's accept the prince of Rosh. What does Rosh sound like? This is pretty basic and it's pretty naff, right? But for now, we're going to say Rosh, and I want you to just use that word association with Russia. There's far better evidence than that. Gog is of the land of Magog. We know from first century historians that Magog is the territory just above the Black Sea, into which a peninsula sticks. What's that peninsula that comes into the Black Sea? Crimea. Well, that's Ukrainian territory, Pete. You must have gone, oh! It's not Ukrainian territory. Who took it just a few years ago? Russia. Gog of the land 
of Magog. I want you to accept this morning, and if you want to hear more about this, come along to our meetings, you come have a chat with me afterwards. This is Russia. This is what Bible students have believed for hundreds of years. Russia, what's Russia going to do? Well, it, Russia's going to come down. Who's going to be with Russia? Verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. First name in verse 5? Persia. Well, what's, who, where's Persia? Iran. So, with Russia is going to be Iran. Now, we're interested in that. We'll pick up these other nations perhaps in a bit. Verse 6, we read of Goma and all its troops, the house of Tagama. Well, Goma, we believe to be northern European nations, sort of uh, the, the Germany, areas around there, even to France. So Goma is going to be with him. Now, what are they told, verse 7? Go is told, verse 7, prepare yourself. Be ready. You and your companies that are gathered about you, you be a guard for them. After many days, you're going to be visited. In the latter years, so a long time, perhaps we're talking about our days. In the latter years, you're going to come into the land of those who are brought back from the sword. What's this land? Well, what happened to the Jews? At the time of the Romans, they were scattered all over the world. But the Bible said, you will come back to the land of Israel. Well, no one believed it, really. Only Bible students believed it. And of course, in 1948, what the, the Arabs called the Al-Nakba, the disaster to them, the state of Israel was declared. They were brought back. Those who were scattered by the sword of the Romans, 2,000 years later, were brought back into the world, into the land. Are we sure it's Israel? Keep reading. Those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people onto where? The mountains of Israel. There's this great dispute on the mountains of Israel. We're seeing it today. And that dispute is going to bring Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, to come down into the land. Are you sure, Pete? Well, look, we're told in Ezekiel chapter 38 where Gog is from. We're told, now I need to look in this Bible, Someone give me a verse. Verse 15. You will come from your place. Where do they come from? You tell me. Where does it come from? Verse 15. Is it just the north? The uttermost parts. The far north. Well, where are you? Of course you're in Russia. You're going to come down. Go to the land of Magog onto the mountains of Israel. Well, What's going on in the world? Do you know, they say that the actions of Trump particularly is bringing Europe, well that's interesting, Goma and the House of Tagama, bringing Europe and Russia closer together. Well, we might expect to see that because Gog is going to be head of these nations. US move on Iran brings Russia and Europe Closer. Trump's trade tariffs pushing Europe closer to China and Russia. Germany and Russia are getting closer. 
U.S. move on Iran brings Europe and Russia closer. And you may have seen just a month or so ago. As the seven-year Syrian civil war enters its final stages, four of Europe's biggest leaders met in Istanbul this weekend for peace talks. They called for the creation of a committee tasked with drafting a post-war constitution and said that a fragile ceasefire in the last rebel-held stronghold of Idlib must be preserved. But the quartet carefully sidestepped the thorny issue of Bashar al-Assad's future. And aside from the talks, this is the moment that got everyone talking. Macron and Merkel lining up to hold hands with their strongmen neighbors, Putin and Erdogan. No words exchanged, but you could say their body language spoke volume. They look pleased, don't they? Right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You'd never have expected to see that a few years ago. Germany, France, Turkey, Russia, holding hands in unity. We live in extraordinary times. Because of the actions of Trump, it's pushing these nations closer together. Now, Ezekiel 38 told us about this Gogian confederacy, the Russian confederacy. There's another chapter in the Bible that also talks about it. Keep a marker here, perhaps keep your finger here, and turn to page 1297, where we read more about this confederacy. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, if you're not there yet, apologies, thank you. So Daniel 11, or page 1297. Now Daniel 11, we read, it's, no, it's not called Gogir, he's called the king of the north. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? So the king of the north. Now look at verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him. How? Like a whirlwind and with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land. Well, in Bible terms, what's the glorious land? Israel. So the king of the north is going to come down like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and going to come into the land of Israel. So we ask ourselves this question. What has Russia been doing in the last year. You keep staying down in 11, but some of you will have a finger in Ezekiel 38. Go back to Ezekiel 38 and verse 7. What was Gog, what was the king of the north, told to do by the prophet Ezekiel? Look at verse 7 of Ezekiel 38. He's told to prepare. Prepare yourself and be ready. Now let's see if they have been preparing themselves.
September, the world asks, why is a Russian naval fleet gathering near Syria? Why are we interested in this? What did we read that tiny detail in Daniel 11 about the king of the north? Are you there? Verse 40. The king of the north will come, and he'll come with many people, good, and with many ships. Why is a Russian naval fleet gathering near Syria? This is four months ago. The Pentagon questions presence of Russian warships off the Syrian coast. Russia builds up Mediterranean fleet amid rising tensions over Syria. Russian marines land on Syrian shores in massive Mediterranean drills. It is another Russian training exercise. One day, this will not be a training exercise. What you're seeing on this screen is Russian troops landing on the shores of Syria. Coming, prepared. The Bible tells us categorically that the king of the north must prepare before it's going to drop down into the territory of Israel. We're seeing it happen in the last few months. Are we awake? Are we watching this? Do we take this seriously, this more sure word of prophecy? Russia's unprecedented military drills shows, the world says, they are preparing for war. Russia is rehearsing for a global war and giving early warning to the West and to any Bible students who wake up and look at this. Kremlin points to terrorists in Idlib, which is in Syria, when asked about massive naval drill near Syria's shores. Russia amasses warships off Syria ahead of regime's final assault uh, on the Syrian rebels. Russia-Ukraine tensions, we saw, didn't we, in November, rise after the Kerch Strait ship capture. Do you remember that in November? when the Russians stopped the Ukrainian boats going through uh, into uh, and around the Black Sea. Putin oversees successful tests. This is last month. This is December the 26th. Putin oversees successful tests of hypersonic missile system. Russia media reports. New fallout coming in late today after that surprise decision from President Trump ordering the withdrawal of all U.S. troops from Syria, saying the war against ISIS has been won. But tonight, even some key Republican senators say this is a very dangerous move. Here's ABC's chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Raddatz, tonight. Today, President Trump all but declaring mission accomplished with his sudden decision to pull all 2,000 American troops out of Syria within the next 30 days. We have won against ISIS, and now it's time for our troops to come back home. So, America is saying that they're pulling out, aren't they, of Syria? They've said they'll slow that pull down, that pull out, but it's a great shock to all of the allies of America. Macron criticizes Trump's withdrawal decision. Well. What's going to happen? A vacuum is going to be left. Europe and Russia pull closer together. Let down by the US, Syrian Kurdish leaders look to Russia and Assad. Syria faces brittle future dominated by Russia, the New York Times says, and Iran. Well, why is that interesting to us? Who does Ezekiel tell us will be with Russia? Iran. 
Ezekiel is writing over two and a half thousand years ago. No wonder Peter's inspired to write this word was not by men privately interpreting it. This was inspired by the God of heaven. Russian President Vladimir Putin is welcoming that plan to remove U.S. troops from Syria. Putin is holding his famously long end-of-year news conference in Moscow this morning. He's taking questions from hundreds of Russian and foreign journalists. Our Charlie Daggett is there and joins us from Moscow. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. Well, it's been another marathon press conference on subjects ranging from the situation in Ukraine to why President Putin isn't married yet. Now, on the topic of U.S. troop withdrawal from Syria, the president called the American presence there illegitimate in the first place. As for defeating ISIS, I do generally agree with the President of the United States. We've achieved some major advances when it comes to defeating the terrorists, and we have struck major blows on terrorists in Syria. Whether do we need the presence of the American military, I guess we do not need that presence. The presence of your troops is illegitimate, so if you've made this decision, it is the right decision. President Putin also warned about the rise in the threat of a nuclear war, saying if the United States puts intermediate missiles in Europe, Russia will be forced to take countermeasures. This is this week that these conversations, these news conferences are taking place. Trump's decision to withdraw from Syria marks a win for Putin. Syria pullout by US tilts the Middle East towards Iran and Russia. Doing what? Isolating Israel. Syria pullout. Israel left with false Russian promises and a volatile US president. Russia is upset after learning that Israel is making plans to occupy space in Syria after the US troop withdrawal. Israeli official confirms Syria airstrikes as Russia objects, objects. Russia condemns Israeli airstrikes on Syria. This is on Boxing Day. As Russia is getting tired with Israel and Israel's, they, they see aggression towards Syria because they are the king of the north and they are dominating that space. I'm not going to play this video, we don't have the time. Putin oversees the successful test of the hypersonic missile system this week. If Trump is beholden to Russia, Israel faces dire danger in Syria. This commentator believes that Israel could be drawn into a war. He says he believes that in 2019, Israel will be drawn into a war. Do you see? So we ask the question with 14 seconds to go. We're going to go five minutes or so over. Why might go the king of the north, Russia? Why might they come down into Israel? Well, even Ezekiel 38, we're told. Ezekiel 38 tells us they're going to come down and they're going to come, verse 12, to take plunder and to take booty. Some of you will have the phrase to take spoil. They're going to come because they want something. 
And what's going to happen is that the, the nations of the Commonwealth predominantly and Saudi Arabia, and we've seen, haven't we, in the last year or so, the strength of relationship between Saudi Arabia and America and its Western allies particularly, particularly the Commonwealth allies. We've seen, haven't we, uh, in relation to the, the Turkish journalist, that the whole world says, well, America, what are you going to do? They say, we're not going to do anything because it's Saudi Arabia. And we need to be pals with Saudi Arabia. The Bible says they will be, that the Commonwealth nations will be friends with Sheba and Dedan, Saudi Arabia. But Russia is going to come down to take a spoil, to take plunder. And we ask the question, well, what is it? Well, let me just quickly whip through this with you. We're told in September that Russia is now more dependent on raw materials exports than ever before. Ten years ago, they were dependent on it. Now they are more dependent than ever on their raw materials exports. So what are their raw materials? It's their oil and their gas. Russia's gas exports to Europe rise to record high. This is this time last year. This is in the middle of last year, June. Europe is still addicted to Russian gas. November, Russia takes major leap in European gas war. Growing dependence on Russia, the gas routes in Europe. Russia's 11 billion natural gas pipeline is primed to fuel Europe. This is November. The problem is, is Israel, this is again the 28th of November, signed a major deal to pipe gas to Europe. Israel to sign agreement, this is December the 21st in the Jerusalem Post, for world's longest gas pipeline. EU to cut gas dependency on Russia, some say, with Israel pipeline. John Bolton, the, uh, the US President's National Security Advisor, said in the summer, will you stop Europe, Germany particularly, relying on Russian gas. The Russians have just put a major pipeline called the Nord Stream 2, which runs from Russia into northern Germany. Stop depending on Russia, the Americans say. And do you know what they said? Why don't you buy Israeli gas or gas from the US? Israeli gas. Israel wants to knock Russia out and export gas to Europe. Israel-EU gas pipeline to compete with Russia. Return to the Middle East to threaten Israel. This is what this news article has to say about the Russian bear that hangs over Israel. A worrisome situation is developing in western Syria. The Russians have established a large military and naval base at Tartus on the Mediterranean. Within three years, the Russian Navy has moved closer to Israel's natural gas installations, and this could turn into a real threat. Moreover, Russian naval control in the eastern Mediterranean basin could threaten not only the production of natural gas, but also its marketing. The plan to lay a maritime pipeline to bring the gas from Israel's coast up to Europe could become Putin's hostage. The Russian-Iranian axis, whose existence is denied, is also moving ahead in the east of Syria. He talks about a road, he says, but the road paved at the time is being used by the Iranians today to bring weapons and fighters to Syria and Lebanon. Now, our time has gone, and we're not going to 
attempt to give any evidence as to why biblically that oil and that gas may be highly relevant. We're just putting it out there as a suggestion, without being dogmatic, that Israel potentially has something that Russia will want. As Russia is able at the moment to control the foreign policies of European nations by turning on and turning off the gas pipes. So they're not going to want Israel to have that control that currently they do. So we ask this question, is the Bible of any use in 2019? And as the world comes to deal with all the troubles and lowliness and darkness in individuals' lives, across nations and across the globe, we long for the time when a just and righteous ruler will come. Not Putin, not Trump, not Macron, not Merkel, None of the nations of the world. They can't do it. But when the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible gives many prophecies, which we've seen some fulfilled today, we've seen a fraction. The Bible's key prophecy is about the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth, where he will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And a kingdom in which men and women from all over the world, from Virginia in the US, to Eastern Europe, to Indonesia, across the globe, men and women will work, work together. And what we have to do in the meantime is read our Bibles, is to be strong, to not be fearful of all the things that we see happening in the world, to know that the Lord Jesus Christ will come and will set up an equitable world. How useful is our Bible today? Well, it gives you peace of mind. When the rest of the world's troubled, we can read this more sure word of prophecy, shining as a light in the dark world. Do you know what the Bible says? That God sets the lonely in families. As loneliness becomes an epidemic across the world, as people sit in darkness, what does God do? He says, you can go into a family. You know what this meeting is in Mumbles? Do you know what we see each other as? Do you know what we call each other? We call each other brothers and sisters. He sets the solitary. He sets the lonely in families. Is it any use? Are you on your own in your life? Come to this meeting. Join a family. It gives us hope in a hopeless world. It's the most trustworthy book on earth. God told two and a half thousand years ago, the king of the north, Russia, to be prepared to come down into Israel. We've seen, haven't we, this morning, that they are preparing themselves. Amos a prophet at the same time as Isaiah, two and a half thousand years ago said, you've got to prepare too. As the king of the north is preparing, you've got to prepare. Are you prepared? Here's the Christadelphians' top tips. Isaiah said, or God said rather through Isaiah, this is the person that I will look at. I don't care what you look like. 
I don't care if you've got no hair. I don't care if you're a little overweight. Just to be clear, a little overweight, yeah? I don't care if you're old, if you're young. I don't care anything about what you look like. I care about your character. And this is the person I'm going to look to, says God. The person who is of a poor and a humble, a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. And so this is what the Mumbles Christadelphians ask of you today. We want you to make an NYR for 2019. What's an NYR? A New Year's resolution. So your New Year's resolution for 2019 is to RYB. What's RYB? Read your Bible. Now look at me. Make eye contact with me. We're going to end this New Year's resolution. Daisy says to me, Daisy's my five-year-old. Dad, do you want to make a pinky promise? This isn't a pinky promise. This is an NYR for 2019. And it's for every single person in this room. RYB. It doesn't matter if you're in the room or you're online. You read your Bible this year because this word is the most extraordinary word you will ever, ever pick up. It tells us about events in the world, not just last year, the year to come, throughout history. We'd be a fool to ignore it. And the God of the Bible says he wants all of us to be in that kingdom. But he expects of you to prepare.